to Fancy Town Crimes Podcast, a podcast about crimes in fancy towns told by middle-class broads. All right, well, hello, everybody. Hey, guys. This is Megan. And this is Taylor. And this is Fancy Town Crimes. <laughs> We've been talking for a good hour. Hour. And having some drinks um I had one beer and I'm a lightweight now that I haven't had alcohol in many months because of baby because you are a responsible parent I am a responsible parent and I'm proud of that thank you thank you I try to be good they say that you're okay to well who knows the whole like pump and dump thing but they say that you're good to breastfeed your baby as long as you can find your baby after drinking. So <laughs> so much stuff. Is that serious? Right? I was like, that seems excessive. <laughs> I love that rule. <laughs> can you find the baby? <laughs> <laughs> That's like a lot of drinks. It's a, it's a lot. That would be a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So, um, so yeah. not to interrupt you, but Please. your zipper is like... I can oh. hear the zipper a lot. <sighs> Sorry, friend. No, no. Is that is that better? Hold on. Is that Move better? around a little bit. Perfect. Yep. Okay. Cool. My scarf isn't pulling on it, is it? I don't think so. No, you seem good. <laughs> Great. So I have um, news. News. It's not. It's not big news. Oh. Got me so excited. Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen and I talked on the phone the other day, and Mary Ellen is my mom, and I love her dearly. Mary Ellen. Um, she's adult Megan. She says <laughs> she really is. She's, except pers- looks-wise, definitely. Personality-wise, my mom is way more put together than I am. So she says to me, oh, I, I like all the fancy town crime stuff, and I haven't been listening because, you know, I don't love, like, murder. But I saw it was Newport, and I'd love to listen. And I went, okay yeah no problem I swear on the podcast though and she was devastated oh no (laughs) she was like like an exceptionally sweary episode I know (laughs) and she says to me she was like you do Megan you do not need to swear on a podcast and I was like I don't need to swear ever but I do When I, I like played snippets of the episode for Jeff when we were driving home from my parents one day and I literally only shared with him the really sweary parts because those were the funniest. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like they just are to me. I just think they're the funniest part. It's like, mom, it's just kind of like the aesthetic of the show. Really, it's just because I swear all the time, just not in front of my mom. (laughs) And she was like, one day your children will listen to this. And I was like, when they're 18. (laughs) (laughs) I had to fill out a bunch of stuff today when I was syndicating our podcast to different like platforms. And it was asking about like, like swearing and like, what's the rating? So it was like, is it a G, PG or PG 13? And I was like, I was like, if I was rating this back in the 80s, it would have been G. But if I'm rating it today, it's probably R. <laughs> Whoops, my bad, guys. I hope you don't mind my swearing too much, but uh, it adds, fuck yeah, I swear. It adds flair. Flair and I, fun. You know what they say, though? They say very intelligent people are very messy. 
Mm. Well, not not messy. Like, my house isn't dirty, but cluttered. And they swear a lot. So if you fall into that category, we could be best friends. Mm-hmm. And you're intelligent. Congratulations. You're really smart. You did it. You've made it. You've made it. You're, you're an Einstein. That reminds me of... So my husband, Jeff, is a very smart man. And when he was in high he school... He is. Yes, he's very smart. When he was in high school, he used to um, leave his items different places. So he would come this one time, he went to class and he had left his backpack at in the cafeteria and just everything, everything that he had just not with him. And apparently he had done this like many times. And because he was, you know, such a good kid, his teacher was just like, the sign of brilliance <laughs> see it's so funny because i have kids that do that all the time they leave everything like Julie, i left my chromebook like in my last class and i'm like okay friend like go get it like it's fine i've had kids leave backpacks places i'm like you're how and this is my question for jeff how how did you arise from your seat and not think about your backpack thinking about something completely different I guess I have no idea I mean I've definitely left purses in restaurants before which is like the worst true no true I agree one time I actually left my wallet in a shopping cart at Wegmans and the cart boy like brought it in and they called me and I was like oh I left my purse there didn't I (laughs) the worst is when you you. get all the way home and you're like oh thank you Wegmans cart boy you are the MVP yeah thanks for being an honest human yeah I appreciate it not that I really had much money to my name (laughs) because I'm a teacher but you know (laughs) there ain't no cash in that wallet (laughs) and besides who carries cash anymore anyway my mom Hang on, I swear, I swear to God, if Bodhi is biting this blanket. Oh, sorry. Bodhi. My apologies, my apologies, Bodhi. You're about to die if you're biting this blanket. <laughs> it's just, you know. Oh, you're top. being good boy. Oh. Yes, you are eating lamb chop, you good boy. Okay. Oh, good boy. All right, we're good to go. We're good to go. Sorry about that. <clears throat> you're going to have some fun editing, huh? No. Or, or not editing. <laughs> just leave it all in. So I would also like to note that I am using my I'm a Karen glass. Oh my gosh! I should use my I'm Georgia glass you for can't. recording. You can't, can't because it's at my house. Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's been at my house forever. I was but actually also- just thinking about that. I was like, as, as that was coming out of my mouth, I was like, where is that glass? <laughs> yep, it is at my house. And Bodhi is now eating the blanket. And I'm going to kill you. You're going back into Bodhi jail. <laughs> no. He was like, nope. I was chewing on lamb. No, 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 no. Thought no. I was still chewing on it. So now I'm chewing on the blanket. You think we're going to have some time out time in the crate? We're going to get some peanut butter. You want some peanut butter? Honestly, I'd like some time out time in the crate. Like, I would accept that. Like, if I was just going to be like, all right, guys, I'm just going to go and chill in the crate now for a couple hours. I'd, I'd be good with that. I, I apologize that. for this, but I'm going to put him in the crate. He's not punished because he's getting peanut butter. You I mean, some peanut butter? Nothing can be a punishment when you're getting peanut butter. I mean, let's nope. be real. I almost used the same spoon I used to mix my vodka soda. Yeah, we're going to go get some peanut butter. Yes. Go ahead. Go in the crate. 
good boy. Okay, there we go. Let's take a fucking nap. All right, I'm really sorry about that. No worries. Making your job more difficult? I'm getting chilly in here. I don't know why. It's cold. It must be cold outside. Right, so, so we got our Karen and George glass. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Tell um, me. So I, I use this I'm a Karen glass. Brandon is not a listener to My Favorite Murder. Or oh, My Favorite Murder. So he thought I'm a Karen was like the Karens. Oh, oh, double entendre. Sir, no, it's Queen Karen. Queen Karen. God, why is she so amazing? She is a queen. She really is a queen. Love her so much. I, know, I haven't really listened to <clears throat> any MFM episodes in quite a while. I really I'm behind too. Oh, I'm so behind. I'm behind on most of my podcasts. Like we were just talking about wine and crime. I'm behind on that too. I don't know what the most sister wives episode was the last one you said. No, I think one came out today because it is Thursday. Thursday. Um, the last one that I, or the one I'm currently listening to is Boy Band Crimes. Enjoyed Boy Band Crimes. It's really good so far. I mean, the thing is, we're like all the same age so it's like every boy band that they talked about you're just like vicariously living through them and like we all just we all had that like at my wedding when the dj accidentally yes. played he what accidentally was, played it yes he didn't realize I didn't that it was an accidental one it was an accident so it was it was dinner time we were supposed to all be just dining and just chillaxing however he, well, he played it. It was he. He accidentally played it because he didn't realize it would invoke the reaction that it did. But was he, it everybody by the Backstreet Boys, or was it Bye Bye Bye? I think it was. I think it was everybody by the Backstreet Boys. Um, you got and, married so long ago, you old maid. I know, right? I'm like, oh yeah, I don't <laughs> even remember. Um, but he played it, and every one of my bridesmaids, and I think a couple other girls included, all got up. And just, we couldn't, I mean, when you hear the 90s, early 2000s boy bands and other songs. You can't shake it. You can't shake it. You gotta get up and you gotta dance and you gotta belt it out. Yeah, I agree. Did you get to um, Amanda's Crime yet? I haven't. Mm. So Kenyon's Crime is really interesting because, what's the guy's name? Lou, is it Perlman? Oh. Yes, I think so. So I never knew all of that stuff with the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Never had a clue. Mm-hmm. Amanda's crime is just dark. <laughs> it's oh. just, which was, I appreciate. I appreciate because I am the dark one. Was it hers? Was, was hers the listener recommendation? Or I don't think they had a listener recommendation that week. Interesting. Like a specific crime. Girl, yeah. I've had one beer and I just I feel crazy good good this is going to be the episode where we just let it all out we lose all of our listeners yep sorry guys I'm, I, I'm here for it I'm I don't think I it. can actually read my crime I'm like looking at this and I'm like oh my god I feel like my tongue is attached to the top of my mouth <laughs> I haven't seen drunk Taylor since shit probably since our wine trip to Connecticut no did you get drunk in December we must have been together in December with you having some alcohol. I would 
think so, but I cannot recall. The last time I remember, well, I wasn't drunk, but was New Year's <laughs> when I really wasn't drunk because I thought I might have been pregnant and I actually and was. You were. I was super, yeah. super early. I was only like a week and a half pregnant or something like that. I know. I remember you were like, I took a pregnancy test and it was vague. And I was like, ah, have some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They like gave you, like we, we went to this really awesome. Um, I loved that place. Oh, saloon. It was, it was so fun. This like, it was a um, like a burlesque style New Year's mm-hmm. party um, in this speakeasy style venue super super fun and so as soon as you go in they gave you a drink at the door because you like paid for like the party and I had taken that test earlier that day and I was like why why did you take listen this actually this is me sounding really irresponsible but why (laughs) that was literally the reason I was like I never in a million years thought I would have been pregnant I was like I should just it was more of like I'll just take one just because I know I'll be drinking tonight it's new year's of course so I took the pregnancy test just to like take it and like keep that out of my mind and then it was super vague and I was like you gotta be kidding me and turns out I was I was like I, I was literally like a week. A week. I was literally a week pregnant. Uh, yeah, it happened really fast. So um, just know birth control does work. If you don't believe <laughs> that it does, does if you don't think it does, and trust me, it does. <laughs> I told you, think about those poor girls that miss their pill for a day. I can't even. And then they get I can't pregnant. Even. I can't even. I can't even. I shouldn't say poor because some of them are really happy to be pregnant, yeah. have great kids. And I'm happy for you. If I'm you get happy accidentally, for you if you're happy. If you get accidentally pregnant and you are happy, good, good for you, man. You, That's you freaking you. awesome. You, that I'm is, happy you for do you, you in your life. You do you, And girl. if you get accidentally pregnant and you don't want to be, you also do you. You do you, girl. And you do what you need to do because it do. is your body and it is your choice. Yeah, girl. 150%. Yep. You just got up because you haven't lived in someone else's shoes. You don't know what they're going through. Agreed. Agreed. Anyway, that's and our PSA. <laughs> yep. There we go. That's how you know we've been drinking. <laughs> we firmly believe in this. However, usually we don't talk about this. <laughs> Apologies. I don't know. How does, how do, how does wine and crime does? Wow. How does wine and crime do this I, after drinking multiple glasses of wine? I'm really starting to question how they do it. It's very impressive. Like, because they, like, they do, like, I mean, this is a beer. Well, this is a, it does have a, it is very high in alcohol. Volume, how much is it? It's, it's, it's like a, uh, it's a 12. So, oh my God. So it's like a glass of wine, I guess. But, um, but how i don't know how they do it i would they don't just have a glass of wine no and then they do drunk dives which i've never listened to because i'm not a patreon member which maybe i should be a patreon i know because i'd love to listen to them because i bet they're so fun so do they do them after they finish their episode i think they do i mean it would be smart because you've got you're already you know you're already on a roll you might as well keep going what a good premise for a podcast if you have not listened to wine and crime and you're listening to us listen to wine and crime don't Stop listening to us. We're not as good, but listen to Wine and Crime. Yeah, listen to them after us and don't judge us after you listen to how good theirs is. <laughs> we are babies compared to them. We are babies. Babies. Maybe our Little Boston babies. accents will pop out now that we've 
we're all liquored up. I'm a little bit hoping they don't. <laughs> Sometimes they do, though. They can get pretty intense. Yeah, they they definitely can. Shall we uh, dive into where we're going today? Let's dive on in. So I did some great research, aka copy paste, <laughs> earlier. And now I've had a vodka soda. So we will see how this goes, friend. Yeah, and I, I gave Megan a challenging... You gave me the most vague fucking place on the planet. Yeah. Totally. You might as well have given me Mars. I know. I really did. It was it was very confusing. There is this mailman. <laughs> we have this mailman. He's ringing our doorbell. He always rings our doorbell. He wants to is... come in and say hi. He's a very nice man, but he's never we- he never wears a mask. So we don't want to mm. open the door for the maskless mailman. The maskless mailman. The maskless. Actually, oh, really quick before we get started, you want to see this super awesome mask that I bought? Yes. All right, I hope this isn't like, you can't hear this too much, can you? No, it's not terrible. It's like a terrible noise. It's some like ASMR. It's crinkling. I didn't realize that I ordered this. Well, no, I I did realize that I ordered this. I forgot how long ago I ordered this, but look at this kick-ass mask. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Love is love. No human is illegal. So it's science is real. Black lives matter. No human is illegal. Love is love. Women's rights are human rights. And kindness is everything. Where did you get that? I love that. I ordered it like months ago. I forget. It's so cute. Well, if we can find the brand, we should definitely tell I'll let you know. I'll... Yeah, no, it's... um. Fuck. I'll look into it from california but i got one i know colleen colleen doesn't listen so i can say this i bought one for colleen for christmas as well oh that's super cute i she's gonna love that she will and she will wear it proudly i can't wear it to work because technically i work in a public building i mean Mm. it's not like inappropriate but it's also i know it's a hot political climate so i wouldn't wear it to work or anything at the moment fair fair Um, enough but you better believe at the fucking grocery store, I'll be picking fights with bitches. Girl, yes, girl, <laughs> yes. All those Karens, not Queen Karen, but the, the mean Karens. I actually, I don't think anyone will give a shit in the area that I live in. But, no, you that's know. very true. The area that we live in is very liberal, so we'd probably be okay. But yes, now that we have done that. Anyway. We are going to a couple different places, but are actually in the same fucking place, because Taylor is confusing. It's Lake Amercy, which is, what, are you laughing at me for pronouncing it? No, I'm sorry, Jeff just texted, texted me. <laughs> I texted him to say that don't go answer the door because there's a maskless mailman there, and it autocorrected it to massless, and Jeff texted me back. He said he has no mass, and it just tickled me. He's going to float wow. away. Wow, one <laughs> One beer be doing you in, Prego. Oh, seriously though. Woo! So you're not you're not Prego anymore. No, I'm not. I'm not. Not. I am responsible. <laughs> I just love that if you can find the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I really just cut you off. We're absolutely losing all of our listeners this episode. No, it's fine. I hope you're here, and I hope you're enjoying it, and I hope you're also drinking and laughing. Yes. Please stay for the ride. <laughs> so. We're going to Lake Amercy, which is in English known as Lake Ammer, Upper Bavaria, and Esching. 
So hop on board, friends. In Germany. In, yeah, my apologies. In Germany. <laughs> this is not the United States. Even though there is a Bavaria, I think, in Texas. Oh, interesting. And I kept getting information. I was like, no, I don't want Bavaria in Texas. <laughs> I had to keep yelling at my computer. So also apologies if you can hear Bodie in his pitiful whine in the background. He is fine. He is a happy dog. He is just a needy dog and wants to sit in my lap right now. Okay. So I obviously did a lot of copy paste from Wikipedia, TripAdvisor, Invest in Bavaria, Investopedia, and Wiki Voyage. Woohoo! And you know if I got to invest in Bavaria and Investopedia, that it's a good place. So down a here we go. Located in southern Germany, Lake Emmersee is a popular tourist attraction named Traveler's Choice in 2020 by TripAdvisor. So also, we need to go there because when COVID is over, I need a good place to go. And this sounds fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's a resort the, area. <laughs> the lake itself is 18 square miles and has a depth of 266 feet, making it the sixth largest lake in Germany. Amersi is surrounded by multiple small towns and is a popular destination for water sports and boating activities. They also have, um, it's a big enough lake, they have like literal boating voyages from like one town to another. It is a Zeng, fuck. Listen, I knew how to pronounce this, but then I had a glass of vodka soda and now I can't. It is a Zengenken Lake. Which means you're, it was you're forgiven. Zengenken Lake, which means it was formed after the glaciers melted in the last ice age. So that I loved. Science brain That's tapped really in, which is why I added it. I was sober when I added it. So love cool. that. <laughs> um, I also think it's super cool how many lakes were formed. Like the Great Lakes were formed after the last ice age too. Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of reminds me of the Great Lakes because it's obviously a massive lake. Yes, it's very big, which is why I had a hard time like pinpointing exactly the location for this crime. Good. I'm glad you struggled too, because I struggled <laughs> hard. Okay. So the lake is within the limits of Upper Bavaria, which is, a su- which is the southern portion of the Bavarian district, centered on the city of Munich, which is its capital. The region has 4.3 million residents and is the largest district in Bavaria. Okay, so... Bavaria is like this huge place in essentially southern Germany. Upper Bavaria is this really nice place in southern Germany. So the name Upper Bavaria refers to the relative position to the Danube River Hmm. um, and its tributaries. People in this region speak a dialect known as Bavarian or Boorish, which can be difficult for even native German speakers to pronounce and understand. So it's the way that I interpreted the research that I did, it's a part of Germany, but it's got its own separate, like, subsect kind of, like, yeah. culture, so to speak. Um, That's super interesting. I also kind of thought of it as, like, Boston, and we have our Boston accent. Nobody knows what the fuck is going on in Boston with traffic, with Duncans, with the words for speaking so you know all the town names that it is the boston of germany yeah love that love that 
Okay. So now we're going to talk about the GDP, which stands for gross domestic product. And what it is, is the breakdown of economic output per person within a particular reason. So from what I understand of that is essentially how much they're spending um, in a particular region. So in 2018, the GDP was two, uh, 273.7 billion euros, which equates to 332.17 billion dollars and accounted for 8.2% of the overall German economic output. Hmm. So this region is doing so well, it is like 8% of what Germany is doing as far as economic output, which is wow. kind of incredible. Yeah, for a small yeah. area, that's crazy. For sure. Um, this earned Upper Bavaria eighth highest GDP in the European Union, actually competing with other countries. Oh my it's, gosh. This region literally was like competing with Luxembourg. I mean, Luxembourg was one of the highest, you know, Switzerland, but it was up there with them. Wow. It was like eighth. That's yeah. crazy. Mm -hmm. The district is also home to the Audi and BMW headquarters as well, which fitting. Fitting. Okay. And then within Bavaria. So we've gone to the lake. We've gone to upper Bavaria and now we've gone to Esching. It's a municipality in the district of Friesing in Upper Bavaria, Germany. The municipality has been around since 1978, which is fairly new. Mm, that is. But Angas first appeared in 773 in a deed of donation from the Friesing Bishop, which is like Europe, super old, which is yeah. real cool. Um, notably, the community center Eshing, I love this part, it has an important venue comprising of a cabaret stage, an exhibition area, and a restaurant. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> Lovely. And that is the area that you are doing, which is Lake Amersey slash Upper Bavaria slash Eshing, from what Beautiful. I understood of what you texted me. That is perfect. <laughs> yes, that is exactly beautiful and your pronunciation I is mean, probably I wrong but I thought it was good so congratulations I feel like I'm gonna do way worse so you, um, you got to go into it confidently and say it completely wrong confidently okay. and listen if you are a German speaker of German ancestry no German words correct us yes we're yes, here we, for it yes absolutely correct us I apologize in advance for mispronouncing literally everything that I'm about to read. Um, so here we go. So my sources, we have The Guardian, we have Wikipedia. Um, the Guardian also has a uh, podcast on this crime. Which is probably better than what we have. Probably a lot more like investigative and reporting, which um, not is not to this. diss you, not to diss you, but no, no, it know. will be better than this. This being <laughs> all of this, um, so highly recommend listening to that podcast. It's very good. So let us dive on in. All right. So in the Alpine foothills in far south of Germany is a vast lake, the one that you spoke of, Amersey. Is that how you pronounced it? 
That's what I said. Yes. I don't know that that's how you pronounce it, but that is what I said. That's what it looks like. Amercy. So its shores are dotted with centuries old villages where wealthy families from uh, Munich buy large second homes and tourists drink beer at waterfront restaurants. Sounds bomb diggity. Amazing. Can we go right now? Please, let's do it. So at the north end of the lake is a pair of uh, villages. So Esching Am Amercy mm-hmm. and Sottendorf. Close enough. No, uh, solid, solid. Thank I you. feel like German, as long as you go at it with confidence, mm. is attainable. And French like, and Spanish? <laughs> sorry. No idea. So those those are less than two miles apart. So separating them is a block of spruce forest that attracts hunters, joggers, mountain bikers, and... Um, I'm sorry, hunters and joggers? That seems dangerous. Seems like a bad mix. <laughs> um, Y'all better be wearing orange. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so, and in the late summer, 38 years ago, it also attracted kidnappers preparing to commit what would become one of the country's most notorious post-crime, post-war crimes. Hmm. So after class on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, September 15th, 1981, the first day of the new school year, a 10-year-old girl, Ursula Herman, returned to her house in Esching. Ursula, the youngest of four siblings, practiced piano with her oldest brother, Michael, and then headed off to her late afternoon gymnastics lesson in Schondorf, cycling through the forest along the lakeside path. When the gym class was over, she went to her cousin's house in Schondorf, uh, where she ate dinner. At 7.20 p.m., Ursula's mother phoned the aunt to say her daughter needed to come home. the light was starting to fade. There was still a little bit of light and the ride home on her bike would only take about 10 minutes. So half an hour later, she was still not home and her mother again called the aunt who said Ursula had left 25 minutes before. Oh God, that must've been the worst feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, both of them immediately knew something was wrong. Ursula's father rushed into the forest from Esching and her uncle did the same from Schondorf so that they could meet in the middle to hopefully find Ursula. Um, Ursula's name rung out through the darkened woods, um, but there was no response. So within an hour, neighbors, police, and firemen had joined the search, um, raking through the waters, and they were trying to see through the thick undergrowth. With midnight approaching and rain falling, a, a dog led its handler away from the lake and into the brush. There, 20 meters from the path, was Ursula's little red bike. But she was nowhere to be found. So was this a police dog or just a regular dog? A police dog, yep. Okay. Um, At first light, the search intensified. Dozens of officers uh, headed out in raincoats and rubber boots through the dense forest. um, And on the border where... It's called Lendenheim Schondorf, um, an expensive private school founded in 1905, um, which favored, it was favored by Bavaria's political and business elite. Mm. Oh, goodness. Ooh la la. Um, (laughs) As a helicopter hovered overhead, a police boat and divers scanned the shallows of the lake. 
local radio carried the shocking news of the missing girl in this idyllic part of the country. Um, she was four seven with short blonde hair, wearing dark green corduroys, a gray woolen cardigan and brown, red brown sandals. And she was the daughter of a teacher and a housewife. Oh gosh, she was so tiny. I know. So on Thursday morning, when Ursula had been found missing for more than 36 hours now, the phone rang in the Herman's house. When Ursula's parents picked up, there was silence and then a short familiar jingle, which they recognized from the traffic bulletin on uh, the Byron 3 radio station. More silence ensued and then the jingle played again before the caller hung up. Three more similar calls, both kind of sinister, followed over a period of hours. A team from the local police department now stationed at the Herman's home began recording the phone calls. So at noon the next day, the postman delivered an envelope addressed to Ursula's father uh, and it was marked urgent. Inside was a ransom note composed using letters and words cut out from tabloid newspapers. It said, we kidnapped your daughter uh, in broken German, which is interesting. If you, mm. if you ever want to see your daughter alive again, then pay, uh, it was 450,000 euros. Sorry, it was the conversion Duchen marks, which I wasn't familiar with, but 250,000 euros um, in a ransom, which is a whole heck of a lot of money for a teacher and a, and a, a housewife. So the kidnappers expecting, I mean, it's a lot for anybody, honestly. Um, <laughs> I love Bodie. I love Bodie, but I'd be like, sir, you need to lower the price. <laughs> I'm sorry, 250000 Where do you think I'm going to get that money? And what, what time frame was this? Sorry. They didn't give a time frame. The year? No. Oh, the year. 1981. Oh, that is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Like you'd have to- Granted, a child is worth a lot. <laughs> so yeah. like, oh, that is expensive. That is excessive. Sorry, no. <laughs> can, can we get a discount? <laughs> um, is it Black Friday? <laughs> can I get a little sale on that? So that's awful. Anyway, the, the kidnappers expected the letter to have arrived a day earlier before the calls began. Um, or fucking planning. Yeah, exactly. Time management people. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently the letter explained that the phone calls with the jingle would actually be a sign um, for timing. Uh, so the rest of it said, just say if you will pay or not. If you call the police or do not pay, we will kill your daughter. Great. So when the phone rang that afternoon and the jingle sounded, Ursula's mother agreed to pay the ransom. Um, she also asked for proof of life, which uh, what were her daughter's nicknames for her two stuffed toys? When the kidnappers, kidnappers did oh. not reply, she became frantic. God, that's terrible. Um, yeah. That was a very smart proof of life to ask for because it's something only she would know. Um, anyway. So the same evening, the kidnapper, kidnappers posted a second letter, which arrived on Monday, September 21st, 
with curiously specific instructions regarding the ransom. The kidnappers wanted the money to be paid in used 100 Deutschmark, Deutschmark bills? Probably, Deu probably Deutschmark. Deutschmark yeah. bills uh, packed in a suitcase. It was to be delivered to an unnamed location by Ursula's father, who was to drive alone in a yellow Fiat 600... Uh, oh my god, a fucking Fiat. I'm sorry. Right? A Fiat going no faster than 90 uh, kilometers an hour. So, like, super specific instructions for some strange reason. Um, so, wait. Her... The girl who was kidnapped, yep. her father was going to decide where to drop off the money? Uh, no. So the kidnappers, it, they, had, they had not named the location yet. But, so oh, I don't know. he was going to go there. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yep. So unlike some other residents of, of Esching and the parents of the pupils at the boarding school in Schondorf, the Hermans were not wealthy. They had only been able to build a home near the lake because Ursula's great-grandfather had purchased some grazing land decades earlier. A neighbor raised part of the ransom and the state agreed to cover the rest. Oh my god, that neighbor know, is right? the loveliest human. Right? Isn't that amazing? Oh I, god, I how even. kind, honestly. The Hermans waited desperately for more instructions, but there were no more letters and no more calls. Um nor did the police have any strong leads. Two weeks passed. The police decided to search the forest again. More than 100 officers was, were assembled with 10, um, 10 police dogs to search as well. The wood was divided into four parts and each quarter into small grids. The teams began searching every grid one by one using metal rods to probe the ground. So by the fourth day of searching, a gloomy Sunday, they had covered most of the forest Ursula had been missing for 19 days. <sighs> At 9.30 a.m., there was a loud shout in a tiny glade about 800 meters away from the lake path. One of the officers has, had struck something solid um, when probing the soil. Another policeman rushed over and after wiping away the leaves and scraping through the layer of clay, discovered a brown blanket covering a wooden board. He removed it only to find... Uh, a second board, which appeared to be the lid of a box. Um, it was the size of about a small coffee table, painted green and locked from the top with seven sliding, uh, sliding bolts. Using a spade, he forced the lid open and peered in, and there was Ursula. Oh, Her God. Yeah, so, so um, the, the officers apparently wept when they lifted her out. Um, well, here's the thing. Listen, this is what I don't understand. If you're going to kidnap and do the whole fucking ransom thing, when you get your fucking money, can you just, like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you actively try really hard to get your money, like, harder than these kidnappers did? I don't yeah. understand that. I, I know, right? I, it's, it's so horrible. I, I. Because ultimately, if you want money, don't you not really care about killing the kid? So you know. there's some stuff that comes up later um, that might answer why uh, why everything kind of went quiet. So two detectives were sent to break the news to Ursula's parents at their home. Um, 
while her mother, of course, was too distraught to ask questions, her father asked repeatedly if his daughter had been hurt before her death. Um, oh, God. But the answer was no. So an autopsy concluded that Ursula died within 30 minutes to five hours of being buried. So, so what was the point of even, oh, so within being buried. Okay, sorry, yeah. I thought you meant within. Okay, yeah. Um, since there was no sign of a struggle or even movement inside the box, the doctors assumed she had been drugged beforehand, pop, possibly with nitrous oxide. So it appeared the kidnappers had planned to keep Ursula alive. Um, the box was fitted with a shelf and a seat that doubled as a toilet. It was stocked with three water bottles, 12 cans of Fanta, six large chocolate bars, four packets of biscuits, and two packs of chewing gum. It also contained a small uh, bizarre library of 21 books with Donald Duck comics, uh, romance novels, and thrillers with titles such as um, The Horror Lurks Everywhere, which is super fun. I want to read a horror book while I'm kidnapped. So wait, they put her in this box yeah, and expected her to live for a while? That's what it appears. So there was also a light and a portable radio um, turned to Byron, Byron 3, the same station that broadcast the traffic jingle. Um, to enable Ursula to breathe, the box had a ventilation system made from plastic plumbing pipes, which extended to ground level. But whoever designed it had failed to realize that without a machine to circulate the, circulate the air, the oxygen would quickly run out. Oh. Yeah. Um, so the police believed they were hunting more than one kidnapper because of the size and weight of the box. Um, it, you probably would have needed at least two people to carry it into the woods. The perpetrators must have known the forest well for they had chosen a remote site within it and had avoided attention while, dragging the, while digging the hole and hacking paths through the dense brush. In Eshing and nearby villages, parents who previously let their children roam free were now terrified to let them out of their sight, of course. Um, and the shock was amplified by the press coverage. On the day of the funeral, after much harassment from journalists, uh, Ursula's brother Michael, a shy 18-year-old, lost his temper with a photographer who had a camera in his face and knocked the camera to the ground, which, I mean, I can't blame him. Yeah, I... I get it. Yeah. So desperate to find the culprits, the police offered a reward for information and tips started pouring in. Uh, one name that came up was uh, Werner Mezurek. He was 31, lived with his wife and their two children just a few hundred meters from the Hermans. Um, a trained car mechanic who left school at 15 and now ran his own TV repair business. Mezurek was good with his hands. He was imposing tall. Uh, and quick-tempered and not well-liked in Eshing. He was also heavily in debt, uh, owing a bank um, quite a bit of money, so he had a motive. So question by police a week after Ursula's body was found. Mazurik could not initially recall his movements on the night she went missing. It took him 24 hours to provide an alibi. He said- I he truthfully though, I wonder if like somebody asked me some obscure date, like tonight when I'm complete, I'm like, oh, I recorded a podcast with my friend. They'd be like, <laughs> I wonder that all the time. Like if somebody were to come to me and be like, what were you doing on September 19th? At least, 19th? You, have, at least you have Jeff, I have Bodie. You can't fucking talk. <laughs> so true. 
That's all I have. I'm like, my dog saw me. And I was hanging like, out with my dog. That sounds not suspicious at all. I not that I, I'm not like, dog. I'm not, you know, providing an alibi for this guy, but it, I'm constantly like, shit, I know. what would I, I always, do? I always wonder that. I really, really do. Um, so he said he had been playing board games, a board, the board game Risk with his wife and two friends. Uh, but a search of his home and workshop revealed nothing that linked him to the crime. Later that month, the forensics team examined the box, found a fingerprint on a piece of duct tape, rising hopes of a breakthrough. Um, thousands of locals, including Mazurik, were fingerprinted, but no match was discovered. So the police still sus- suspected that Mazurik was uh, was involved, and at the end of January 1981, they arrested him along with two of his friends and interrogated them for several days before releasing them. A month later, another of Mazurik's acquaintances was questioned. Klaus Faffinger uh, was an unemployed mechanic with a drinking problem. His landlord, uh, who who he owed rent to had told police that in the weeks before the crime, he had seen him driving his moped, uh, seen Faffinger riding his moped with a spade strapped to the side. Um, <laughs> little suspicious. I'm I w- sorry. Are you jousting with that moped? <laughs> it's kind of something you might notice. So Faffinger initially protested his innocence but on the second day of questioning when the interrogators took a break and he was alone with the police secretary he said what if i know something really wait with the police secretary you think they're not gonna spill the fucking beans bruh right so when the interrogators returned, Faffinger told them that Mazurik had asked him to dig a hole in the forest in early September 1981, promising a payment and a TV. Faffinger said he had dug the hole and had later seen a box embedded inside. Of course, we, have, we don't know if that's true or not, right? Because at this point, the media has stated all of this. So, convinced that they had cracked the case, the detectives drove Faffinger to the forest that separated Esching and uh, Skondorf. Schondorf. They asked him to lead them to the burial site. To their dismay, he was unable to locate it or even come close. On mm. returning to the police station, he announced, I am invoking this, I am revoking this confession. It's not true what I said. Which kind of makes sense. Yeah. During at least 10 subsequent interrogations in the following months, he refused to repeat his confession and was eventually released without charge. So by the summer of 1982, after his name was smeared, Mazurik uh, was prepared to move away from Eshing with his family. The lead detective who had pursued him was replaced and the net cast more widely. So there were 100,000 posters requesting help with the investigation Um, distributed nationwide um, on TV. It was on a variety of different shows, um, which would later serve as a model for BBC's Crime Watch and America's Most Wanted, which is interesting. Interesting. Um, They all featured a long segment on Ursula Herman's case. 
So the new police team found more evidence of the kidnappers' methods, including a wire that had strung through the trees along the lakeside path to serve as an alert system during the abduction. But investigators um, of uh, investigations of other suspects came to nothing. By the end of, of the 1980s, the investigation had wound down across Germany. Most people still remembered the shocking unsolved case of the 10-year-old girl buried alive in the box. Oh, God. So Ursula's parents and siblings, meanwhile, were doing their best to move on with their lives, though they grieved, obviously, for Ursula, they, who they remembered as an intelligent and energetic girl who loved to sing and paint. They did so in private, never speaking to the press. Soon after their youngest child's death, the parents had made a conscious decision not to let the hunt for the kidnappers consume their family or let the tragedy define their lives. I mean, is, good for them, yeah. honestly. And I, I don't even so mean... Hard like you have to move on because I don't think you ever move on from something like that I think you carry that with you forever but it a good on them for not having it be like a weight on their children you know what I mean yeah absolutely so without any known uh uh perpetrators to blame they tried to think of it as a terrible accident it was hardest for ursula's mother who believed she should have gone to fetch her daughter from the cousin's house i mean oh god you always blame yourself this was totally not her fault i Um, feel like that is key that whole like mother's guilt thing totally totally. which is not i mean not legit like it's it's it's, yeah you i hate i hate to say it like you want to protect your kids from everything but how can you? We can't because there's just awful people out there. There are awful people out there. Never let Ellie go anywhere. Never. She's never leaving my sight ever, 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 ever. <laughs> Except with me. Except with you. Trouble. Yeah. She, she can go hang out with, with, with Auntie Mego and get in trouble. That's fine. <laughs> um, Ursula's father and sister turned to their faith to try and find peace. Um, and her youngest brother eventually found solace in surfing. So that's nice. There you go. Um, Michael, the eldest brother, who was in his final year of school at the time of the crime, was playing music at a friend's house on the night Ursula disappeared. When his mother called in a panic, saying his little sister was missing, he rushed home and joined the search for her in the forest. He was devastated when her body was found. Then it quickly turned into, what can I do now with this With this now, he told, uh, he told the guardian. Because he knew the why, he could just never understand. He decided that he's alive and he needed to do something. So in the mid-2000s, so now fast forward, um, the Bavarian State Official, um, excuse me, the Bavarian State Office for Criminal Investigation started looking uh, at its backlog of cold cases. The most famous was Ursula's Her- Ursula Herman's kidnapping, which... Um, had by then appeared three times on case number XY unsolved and was still a stain on the reputation of the local police. I don't want you to spoil this, but I am so eager for them to solve this cold case. So just keep going. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Prosecutors hoped that the development of DNA profiling over the previous two decades might help crack the case. The massive evidence from the original investigation, including the ransom note and box, was painstakingly re-examined. Numerous hairs were found, from which the forensic experts were able to build the DNA profiles of several different people. 
Now they just needed a match. And in 2007, they got one. <gasps> so a genetic sample recovered from a screw on the box matched what matched uh, what they had found on on a glass in the Munich penthouse of a wealthy woman who was brutally murdered in May 2006. Fucking science. Right? Amen. So, Fucking science. But the police excitement about a breakthrough was short-lived, unfortunately. God damn it! <laughs> so was mine! <laughs> On trial for the Munich killing was the victim's nephew, who was only a few years older, oh, few years old when Ursula was kidnapped. Mm. After extensive forensic investigation, the judge ruled that no link could be established between the, t- the two criminal cases. Wait a second, though. So, the woman who was murdered... Mm-hmm. It was her nephew, mm-hmm. who was clearly not old enough to kill a person. Yes. Could it possibly be familial? I mean, one would think, right? Um, so how the match, uh, so how that match, so what they say is how that became a match for the sample from Herman's case occurred seem remains a mystery um though, i mean unless there was cross-contamination that's what they're saying so like the very rare mistakes do happen in genetic profiling but it's pretty suspicious i would say so for the prosecutors looking at herman's case uh time was running out her death had not been deemed a murder but rather kidnapping with deadly consequences a crime what? That, yes a crime that carried a 30-year statute of limitations. Give me a... How... How is this not murder? It was obviously murder. You accidentally murdered her, but... You still murdered her. You murdered her! You put her in a fucking box! Exactly. Exactly. So, in five years, the people responsible would be in the clear. So there was only five years left to solve the case. Kidnapping has a statute of limitations? In Germany, uh, it was- It probably does in the US, but- Yeah, it was a, a, so it was deemed a kidnapping, quote unquote, with deadly consequences, which only carries a 30 year statute of limitations. Dude, the fucking 80s, the fucking 80s hit every country, apparently. Because it would be the same thing in the US, it'd be like, oh, if it was two white men, I mean, they accidentally did it. They accidentally killed her. Accidentally did it because they needed a lot of cocaine. So, yeah. So the state prosecutors went back to the 1980s case files to look at the main suspects. Klaus Fafinger, the unemployed man who briefly claimed uh, to have dug the hole, was dead. But Mm. Werner Masaryk was still alive and living with his wife in the north of Germany, where he ran a boat accessory business. um, Accessorize your boat. I'm sorry. Are you going to bejewel it? I know, right? And a snack bar that, uh, with the slogan, Norbert's Pig and Werner's Beer, the finest at the Harbor Pier. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the la- like KFC of right. Germany. <laughs> Even though I really love KFC, but that's KFC of Germany. Right. So in 2007, uh, Masaryk was placed under surveillance and an undercover officer deployed uh, was deployed to befriend him. So they went stealth. Police planted recording devices in his car and his house and tapped his phone. 
In October that year, his home was searched and he was asked to provide a saliva sample. It did not match any of the genetic profiles found on the box. The prosecutors had one hope left. Was this his, sorry, was this his friend who asked him to spit in a cup? His oh, undercover friend. Excuse me, will you just spit in a cup for me? Do you know who would be really good at this job? Who's that? You. <laughs> You can make friends with anybody. The FBI needs to employ you as someone who can make friends with criminals. Because you'd be like, hey! Hey there, you! I'm here to make friends with you. Let's be Biffs. You want to play Risk? You and your wife? Let's do this. Look at this creepy-ass alley. Look at you cleaning it all up. (laughs) Could you just spit in this cup for me? That'd be great. You you could probably get somebody to spit in a cup. You'd be like, listen, listen. It'd be so fun, right? I'll spit in too. You spit in We'll both spit in a cup. It'll be this new game. And we'll trade. <laughs> that would 100% be you. That would I be really fun. Hope you need to make Jeff listen to this part because, number one, he's going to laugh his ass off. Number two, he's going to shake yeah. his head and go, yeah. <laughs> that would be really fun. I would totally do a job where I had to just befriend people. That would be super fun. <laughs> job application to the FBI. I would like to make fake friends with criminals. <laughs> Thank you. Call me, please. <laughs> not willing to locate (laughs) relocate (laughs) please do remotely thank you (laughs) goodbye um so the prosecutors had one hope left um among the items taken from masaryk's house during the search was an old reel-to-reel tape recorder in the calls to ursula's parents in the days after her disappearance the kidnappers had played a jingle was it possible that this device was used to record that jingle from the radio all those years ago a sound expert who had access to the original recordings from 81 uh, spent months conducting tests on the tape recorder, concluded that it was indeed used in the kidnapping. Oh. Yes. So on May 28, 2008, nearly 27 years after Ursula's death, Mazurik was arrested and flown to uh, Augsburg, a city near Esching. Ursula's parents, who were still living in the same house uh, by the lake, had been notified a few days before that the arrest was imminent. They were also told they could be part of the trial. Oh, Under- shit. Yeah. That must have been such a relief for them. I can't even imagine, like, drudging that up all, like, 27 years later. I can't even imagine. So under the German legal system, relatives of victims of certain serious crimes are allowed to formally join the prosecution as co-plaintiffs has a special word in German that I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. So it's not only like you murdered somebody, but you murdered somebody of this family. And so fuck you, I get to be, are they like sitting with the prosecutor? I'm assuming. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. It's intense. So, um, Ursula's parents did not want to be confronted again by the horrifying details of their daughter's death, of course, all those years later. Instead, it was agreed that the co-plaintiff would be their older son, Michael, who was by then in his 40s teaching religion and music at a girls' secondary school in Augsburg. It's an interesting job, but, you know, good on you, bro. Yeah, you do you, boo. He was a quiet family man, but also one who uh, is quote unquote, not content with half-truths as an old friend, uh, as one of his old friends um, you say, do, 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 do. I mean, who so, is though? I know, right? I'm, I'm not okay with half-truths Are you semi-lying to me? Because I will take it. It's all right. <laughs> I will take a semi-lie, please. Did you attempt to be nice? Okay. Is that a white lie? 
the friend says he has such a deep sense of justice that drives him. Justice. He should be so, a lawyer then. What's he doing uh, being a religion teacher? That's a really good question. Bro, be a prosecutor. You know. would be the bomb at it. I know. So the trial opened in February 2009 um, before a packed court in Osberg. We're like really getting down to the wire here in our like 30 year de- timeline. Shit, you're right. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, what is it? 2010 is no 2011. 2081, right? Yeah. 81. So it'll be, yeah, 2011. So we got two years. So left. all that asshole had to do was like delay, delay, delay. Yes, exactly. So Mazurk characterized in one of the newspapers as the bearded giant sat in front of his wife, who was also uh, on trial as an accessory to the crime. Fucking hell. Right. Reading from a 20 page statement, Mazurk insisted he was innocent. I know I was certainly not a good citizen, sometimes rude, and we'll say, and we'll, and we'll see many attempts to portray me as a bad person, but I have nothing to do with this act. I love that. Sometimes rude. I was sometimes that's, rude. That's the only thing I'm faulted for. Listen, I would even say more of myself, all right? I'm more than sometimes rude. I'm, I'm often rude. a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes rude, often a bitch. Um, the, <laughs> the I prosec- like it that way. <laughs> the prosecution had no difficulty finding evidence of his poor character. Missouri's daughter and stepson had few good things to say about him as a father. Fuck, he, that's bad. Yeah, it's not good. He so you also, should have also added in shitty ass father. Yeah, apparently. That's, uh, you're not looking too good here, Mazurk. Uh, he had also had other scrape, uh, scrapes with the law, including a fraud conviction in 04 for falsifying documents. So things are just a slippery slope here. Then there was the story about the dog. Oh no, oh no. In 1974, Mazurik returned from the Oktoberfest beer festival to find that the family dog, Susie, had overturned the rubbish bin in the kitchen. Mazurik grabbed the dog and locked it in the basement freezer. What the, next, the fuck? Yeah. The next day, his wife at the time, who would soon divorce him, went to the freezer to get some meat and only to find Susie there frozen to death. Yeah. Mazurik laid fucking kidding me right now i'm sorry this is murdering that child was is terrible and is worse than murdering a dog agreed but are you fucking kidding me right now yeah he mazurik later said he had punished the pet with exile to siberia he's twisted twisted okay i'm no but it's so like I'm not even, when I say like, oh my God, and I get all up in arms about that. It's not that I'm saying the pet's death is worse than the child's death because fucking terrible. Yeah, it's just. But like, I'm sorry, if you can murder a dog, mm-hmm. I would never even, granted, I don't have a freezer big enough to put Bodie in, <laughs> but even if I did, I was like. That was literally, like. The fact that that even crossed his mind as a as something to do, like obviously something. Bodie was, Bodie was chewing on a blanket, like when we started recording, and I was like, "Let me get you some peanut butter, and we're gonna take a little time out in the pen." The dog the overturned pen. a trash bin. Like, I, are you fucking, It's a dog, of course. Yeah. Probably, probably, truthfully, because he didn't fucking feed it. Probably, this guy is. I mean, 
I mean, it's always like an indicator, right? If somebody has a hurt an animal. Percent, a hundred percent. So, obviously. Think, I mean, I'm surprised and I hate to say, I'm glad his kids made it out alive, but I'm kind of surprised he wasn't super fucking abusive to his kids. Yeah. I mean, there, that's probably a big reason why his, like, if that's any indication, like why his children had all those bad things to say about him. That tells you a lot about him as a person. And he, and sadly, like, okay, I don't know how your case ends, but even if he is convicted in, what, 2008? Mm-hmm. 2009. He has to live the whole fucking rest of his life. Yep. And this poor fucking child that he was like, I need some money, dies in a goddamn box. I cannot. Yeah. I yeah. cannot. Yep. So the prosecution laid out the circumstantial evidence against Mazurik. Um, he had a motive as he needed money and the means to to secretly build a box because he owned a workshop while Ursula was missing. He had been overheard, um, excuse me, observed listening to police radio and a piece of leather used in the box construction was cut from a belt owned by someone with a large stomach, just like Missouri. And in 2007, after police searched and bugged his house, they listened in on a phone call between him and an old friend from Eshing where they discussed the statute of limitations for Ursula Herman's case. I mean, it's all kind of piling up. Mm -hmm. but the key elements of the prosecutor's case were the revoked uh, confession by Faffing that he dug the hole at uh, Mazurik's request and the, and the tape recorder. Wait a second. That man said he dug it for Mazurik? Yes. Oh. Yes. But he couldn't find it, so they let him go. But like but they he's, talk he's about tying this guy into it. Yeah. Like they talk about, like it's it's a very thick brush and it's very like hard to navigate. So mm -hmm. it wouldn't be surprising if he just couldn't find the spot would be my impression i mean fair enough because a forest when you go in deep enough everything looks the same this is why people get all you know yeah. turned around tangled up yeah exactly yeah yeah so they and the prosecutor suggest uh insisted that the confession was credible as the old police files showed faffing's confession was accurate in several ways he had described the burial site in detail from the size of the forest glade and the dimensions of the hole to the soil um, to the soil conditions the lead police investigator in 82 was convinced Faffing deliberately misled him during the forest visit when he could not locate where the box was buried. Testifying in court all these years later, the same policeman described Faffing as an excellent actor and practiced swindler. Mm. Yeah. So the tape recorder was the most important and controversial piece of evidence. When questioned by police in 07, Mazurik said he had purchased it only a few weeks earlier at a flea market uh, where when he was on a holiday with his wife, but he could not prove who sold it to him and nobody at the market could recall such a device being sold that day. The state's expert who's, uh, who, who's who was, excuse me, whose specialty was phonetics uh, rather than audio described how in the recording of the ransom calls, you could hear a couple of clicking sounds, the buttons of a tape recorder being pressed during the recording of the jingle. When she pressed the buttons on the tape machine, she had in her, in her words, an aha moment. The sounds were identical. Other subtle characteristics of the recording also corresponded precisely to the specific machine in front of her. It was, she said, probable that the very same tape recorder found in Mazurik's house was the, was used in the ransom calls. 
So to sum that up, in, in March 2010, the senior prosecutor reminded the court that Ursula had been buried alive in a box, revealing the cold-bloodedness cold and mercilessness of the per perpetrator. The three judges and two jurors were convinced finding Missouri guilty and sending, sentencing him to life imprisonment. His wife was acquitted due to lack of evidence in court. Everyone seemed happy that Ursula's killer had finally been put away. Mm -hmm. um, so during the trial, Missouri had sent Michael a letter, not to thank him for the question, for questioning the tape recording evidence, but to suggest that they were somehow on the same side. Interesting. So, yeah. From prison, Missouri kept writing and even sent a Christmas card. In 2013, Michael finally replied, I was surprised to receive a letter from you because it is, it is certainly clear to you that despite all the doubts I have about your guilt, I have considerable reservations about your person. Also, because regardless, you're a douchebag. Totally. If you are not the culprit, I wish- You're uh, still a douchebag. Totally. I wish Sorry. for- <laughs> It's true for, uh, for more new insights and that you can be rehabilitated. If you are the culprit, go to hell. Fair enough. Nice. That is exactly what I would say. I yeah. like this Michael. There I really you go. like him. There you go, Michael. By then, Michael was increasingly skeptical of Missouri, uh, that Missouri was guilty. After the trial ended, Missouri, um, excuse me, Michael kept returning night after night, his ear ringing to the case file he had stored up on his computer. Um, and he would you know, just go over and over and over and had to put, it put strain on his marriage. He ended up separating from his wife in 2012 um, because he just couldn't let it go. Mm. He felt he owed it to his parents and himself um, to pursue the truth. So he came up with a plan. In 2013, he filed a civil claim seeking uh, 20,000 euros in damages from Missouri for causing his uh, tinnitus. It was a legal ruse since Missouri could defend the case on the basis that he was wrongfully convicted and so could not be cons uh, considered responsible, the court would, ha uh, would have to reconsider the facts of the criminal trial before coming to a conclusion. It would be an opportunity, Michael believed, to get quote unquote nearer to the truth. So he just won't let this go. Mm -hmm. The judges knew what was going on and they were pissed off, says this person feller i mean okay fine you're pissed off but in fairness it's this man's family member yeah yeah i mean he's, he has a right to do what he's gonna what he's doing if, here if i didn't believe someone who killed my sister killed my sister i would be bullshit too you want to find the right person like you want to have the right person in jail so unlike with the criminal trial where the media focus was on missouri it was now on michael he found himself having to explain his uh uh explained to his pupils in his music and religion classes who knew him as reserved, uh, why they were seeing his face in newspapers and on TV. He took journalists um, to Eshing and into the forest where Ursula was kidnapped. Uh, even so, apart, uh, apart from Herman's close family and friends, few understood why he was pursuing the case. Um, as the civil trial went on, it became clear that he was not the only person with doubts about the original verdict. Appearing for the defense was a retired psych uh, psychiatrist and amateur sound expert who had built his first tape recording from scratch in the 60s and lived in a village just a few miles from Eshing. He vividly remembered the coverage of the crime in 81, though he had never heard of Missouri before its arrest. Uh, so this guy, Hader, had, uh, had followed the, the night 2009 trial in the media and was highly skeptical about the tape recording evidence. He later 
um, had borrowed a similar machine, got a hold from the ransom call and tried to see if it was possible to replicate the, the expert's finding. Uh, and he, he concluded that it was not. Um, to, to, towards the end of the civil case, Michael gained another ally in London, a German academic uh, named uh, Barbara Zipser read an article online about his efforts to go to get to the truth. Zipser was um, was a child in Germany when Ursula was kidnapped and recalled the horror she felt. Um, since Zipser's uh, specialty in, lingui in linguistic profiling at at a university in London, she used modern profiling techniques to identify authors um, of ancient Greek medical texts. She decided to compare the ransom notes sent by the kidnappers to samples of Mazurk's writing, which Hader had posted on the internet. Zipser analyzed the words used and the writing style. Who, whoever composed the ransom notes was well-educated, she said, a native speaker pretending to be a, to be a foreigner by writing in broken German. And she was convinced it was not Masuric. Hmm. Um, her opinion was only hardened after she went to meet Michael in Germany and spent many hours going through case files with him. In August 2018, the civil case concluded and the court ordered Masuric to pay Michael 7,000 euros for causing his tinnitus. It was a victory that to Michael represented a loss uh, since to the arrival excuse me, of the decision, the judges first needed to agree with the criminal court that Missouri together with an unidentified accomplice was indeed the man who was kidnapped. That's kind of amazing. That's yes. kind of amazing. I did not think he would win that case, but right. good for you, friend. Yep, totally. Um, beep, boop, boop, boop. So, do, 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 do. So from his prison cell in Germany's far north, Mazurk is trying to clear his name after uh, after this article was, was published back in 2019. So he had hired a private investigator to track down the man who said he sold the tape recorder in 2007. Um, and Michael, who was in court most days, most, most days, um, and despite his le legal setbacks and tinnitus, uh, he is still working to determine the, the guilty party. Um, so, do, 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 do. So through his lawyers, Michael told the local press that he would be making no more public statements about the case nor giving interviews. Um, which the media interpreted his, him as him finally giving up. Um, but I wouldn't say that. Yeah, he said, I didn't say that I'm not going to take it any further. Um, so on the day that he received, sent that message, it was the 38th anniversary of Ursula's kidnapping and death. Um, and as, as they've done for the last few years, Michael, along with his siblings and his mother, traveled to the graveyard in Eshing, where Ursula is buried. Just the four of them, no partners. There they remember the little girl who left her cousin's house on a little red bike on the summer evening and never came home. So that is the story of Ursula Herming, Herman. That poor little girl. I know, right? Like, when you really wrap it all up and you think about how it was, like, a 10-year-old girl that was bike riding home. I know. I know. It's very, it's so sad. And like, 
it's it's such a strange it's such a strange case like the fact that they were trying to keep her alive in this box and like it's just it's very it's bizarre i always cases like that i'm always like who did it and is so good at hiding it that you have no clue who it is because like a lot of times cases are like fairly cut and dry yes and you're like oh okay you're like pretending you didn't do it but sir it's so all that always blows my mind yeah so poor michael i know i hope you find peace friend because that is devastating and that was a really good retelling of the case thank you it was uh, a the guardian did a, a really good job their sources were amazing and so like i said go, go listen to their podcast um it's very informative but anyway hopefully you have something a little fun for us my little like tidbit is kind of cool i'm not gonna lie i'm pretty proud of this tidbit Ooh. that i found because it took me a while to find it, it took me yeah. a while so this is the castle of Neuschwanstein, which I'm not German, so that does not look like what it is spelled like. However, I know how to pronounce it, Neuschwanstein. And this article is from How Stuff Works. It's a good article. Highly suggest reading it. It's from September 3rd by Dave Ruse, and it's The Strange History of Neuschwanstein Castle is No Disney Fairy Tale. So now, Neuschwanstein Castle, to give you like a synopsis of the beginning of uh, the article, uh, Disney toured it, or saw it, toured it with his wife, and was inspired by it. And actually, this is what Cinderella's Castle is based off of. And yeah, if you look at the picture, it is kind of similar to Cinderella's Castle, like at Disney as far as like if you took the entrance and then the really tall tower and mashed them together you could say okay Cinderella's castle um so that's pretty cool curious to see a picture of it so I will definitely give you a picture of it yes and we can post it um but it is no Disney fairy tale according to this article so this so we skipped the first portion because basically it was like Disney toured it Saw it, loved it, made it Cinderella's castle. Okay, let's skip to the good shit. A fantasy kingdom. King Ludwig II never fits the mold of the Stoic monarch. Born in 1845, he was raised in princely elegance in his father Maximilian II's castle, where the young royal, quote, enjoyed dressing up and took pleasure in play acting, according to his mother, Marie of Prussia. From an early age, Ludwig had a vivid imagination and a flair for the dramatic. Sounds like a man after my own heart. (laughs) Yes. Um, Maxwell II, built in 1832, a gothic, in the gothic style, was, sorry, okay. Maxwell II, built in 1832 in the gothic style, was decorated with paintings from the medieval German legends and poetry, and the young Ludwig particularly identified with Lohagrin, a legendary knight of the Holy Grail who traveled on a boat pulled by swans. Very Ah, lovely. Lovely. So his father, you know, built the castle. 
When Maximilian II died in 1864, Ludwig was thrust into power at only 18 years old. Unprepared for any serious political leadership, one of the first things Ludwig did as king was to invite musical idol Wagner to come to Munich for an opera festival. Wagner was also obsessed with German medieval legends and even wrote an opera version of the Lohengrin story in 1850. Wagner, who was in dire financial straits, eagerly accepted Ludwig's invitation and the young king became one of the composer's chief patrons. When they met, Wagner did not know what to make of the otherworldly Ludwig. Quote, today I was brought to him. He is unfortunately so beautiful and wise, soulful and lordly, that I fear his life may fade away like divine dream in the basement world, quote, wrote the composer. Again, quote, you cannot imagine the magic of his regard. If he remains alive, it would be a great miracle. Also, what the fuck does that mean, if he remains alive? Okay, sir, you sound crazy. Okay, sir. Um, <laughs> Wagner couldn't have predicted it, but just two years later in 1866, Bavaria and Austria suffered a humiliating defeat to Prussia in the Seven Weeks War, and Ludwig was stripped of his real power. Which is ironic, because his mother was Prussian, but okay. <laughs> it was then, historians believe, that Ludwig decided to retreat to a fantasy kingdom in the Alps, dedicated to Wagner, an alternate reality in which he could play out operatic daydreams full of Christian knights and magical spawns. Oh. Which sounds fucking amazing in COVID. I know, right? Just a nice <laughs> escape. Also, I love that my phone is listening to, to me so much that it was like, do you want to be a lord? And what you're like, yes, book? I do. <laughs> I have the advertisement. Yeah, it's sad. I, I would like to be a lady. Yeah. Yes, please. So Ludwig already had the perfect location picked out a rocky promontory near his childhood castle with 360 degree views of the pristine alpine lakes, lush valleys and towering peaks. He wrote a letter to Wagner describing the plans to build far more ambitious version of his father's estate. Quote, the location is one of the most beautiful to be found, holy and unapproachable, a worthy temple for the divine friend who has brought salvation and true blessing to the world. To bring his vision to life, Ludwig enlisted a theatrical set designer and scene painter from Munich named Christian Jenk, who made some appropriately dramatic drawings of the new castle, as Ludwig called it. It was meant to be an idealistic version of the medieval castle inspired by a visit to the legitimately medieval Wahlberg Palace, but cranked up to 11. Ludwig wanted 200 well-appointed rooms, a cavernous singer's hall for opera performers, ornate walled gardens, and even a, quote, knight's bath, akin to ritual baths used by knights of the Holy Grail. But rather than being a complete throwback, the castle was to include the latest technology, technological comforts, including electric lighting, flush toilets, mm. ooh, comfort, <laughs> central heating, and electric buzzer system for summoning servants. Wow. The first stone of Ludwig's dream castle was laid in 1869 and had written to Wag he had written to Wagner that he hoped to move in three, in, in three years, but construction was still ongoing when Ludwig finally moved into the first completed section 15 years later. By that point, the castle of 
the scale of the castle had been parred down significantly and the project was taken uh, a distinctly kioxic feel. Was Ludwig really mad? Ludwig, a deeply pious Christian, had begun to identify himself more and more with the Arthurian hero Parzival, another knight in the quest of the Holy Grail. In the castle, a space originally planned as an audience room for receiving guests was turned into a high-demand throne room without a throne. Sir, make yourself a throne. You need a throne. Instead, its gilt walls and murals were to serve as the, quote, Hall of the Holy Grail. Ludwig grew increasingly reclusive. He slept during the day and wandered the castle at night. He'd hired musicians and actors for private concerts and operas. And during Bavaria's snowy winters, he'd journey out for nighttime sleigh rides in an elaborate custom-made sleigh, sometimes in medieval costume. Listen, this man just sounds like he enjoys a good Renaissance festival. He's just living his best life. By 1885, the still unfinished castle had gone widely over, wildly over budget, sounds like me, and Ludwig had, tr- had tried the patience of his foreign creators. When he couldn't repay his debts, the foreign bank seized the property and threatened to bankrupt the state of Bavaria. The fucking state of Bavaria. Ludwig's ministers, largely to protect the state assets, accused the king of insanity and removed him from his throne. Poor fucking Ludwig. Ludwig had clearly shown some borderline delusional behavior and his obsession with building this new castle, plus four other lavish personal palaces and homes, was all-consuming. Whether or not he was truly a madman is still being debated. Ludwig's ultimate fate is also shrouded in mystery. Days after Ludwig was deemed insane by the state-appointed psychiatrist and locked up in Drab Castle, he was found dead apparently drowned in waist-deep water. Oh my. Ludwig's death at only 40 years old would have been ruled a suicide if not for one gruesome detail. His psychiatrist was floating dead next to him. What? Mm-hmm. No one knows exactly what went down. The castle was renamed Neuschwanstein, which means New Swanstone, after Ludwig's death, as an homage to the tragic eccentric figure known as the quote fairy tale king. Ironically, the debt-ridden castle opened to the public just seven weeks after Ludwig's death in 1886. Wow. And has paid for itself many times over thanks to the 1.4 million tourists who visit every year. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's a it's gorgeous from the outside, and I've seen a couple of images inside. It's beautiful, but this this poor man, I don't think he was, That's I don't think nuts. he had mental illness. I think he just everyone, wanted my shit. Everyone thought that everyone had mental illness back in, the, in that day. God, if you weren't, like, following the Pope relentlessly right. and paying to get out of fucking purgatory. Seriously. God, well, I'm, a bad, I'm a bad Catholic. I'm going to hell. No. <laughs> No, you're not. You're great. Hand basket. <laughs> you're great. <laughs> you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah. Let's go in our little basket. <laughs> oh, well, that was great. Thanks, Meg. There you go. Yeah. This was a was long one, guys. Neuschwanstein. Neuschwanstein. I, I hope that you guys stuck with us. Uh, it was a long one. Mine, mine was very long. Uh, 
but it was good. I enjoyed it. It was good. It was good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I once again have a hungry baby. As you always do. As I always do. So uh, we'll, we'll leave you with this and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you next time, guys. We, we will. And we hope that you will send us some potential towns, potential yeah. crimes, because we love doing recommendations. So you send them on over to Fancy Town Crimes on Instagram. Send them over and uh, we'll see you next time. Stay safe and healthy. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. See you next time.